0: Another episode of the Jambase Podcast. I'm Andy Khan and Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, a podcast network for music. On this episode, we'll hear my interview with Sam Blasucci and Clay Finch of Mopache. We recently spoke about their excellent new album, Roscoe's Dream, that came out shortly after we chatted. We'll get to that interview in just a moment. Right after we hear about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Grateful Fred. Show your love of great music on the do with Grateful Fred. Grateful Fred brings officially licensed high-quality chrome badges and more to fans of the Grateful Dead, Fish, and Widespread Panic. Check out a wide array of designs like the 13-point bull, the steely, dancing bears, song titles, and numerous other classic Grateful Dead designs. Find the full Grateful Fred collection at www.grateful-fred.com. That's G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L-F-R-E-D.com. Visit GratefulFred.com today. Jambase recently published part two of our retrospective series celebrating the community that formed around Terrapin Crossroads. Grateful Dead bassist Phil Lesh opened Terrapin Crossroads in San Rafael, California on March 17, 2012. The concert hall and restaurant facilitated the growth of an important and vibrant community of musicians and fans that flourished through the venue's closure in November 2021. In March of this year, Jambase published part one in the series, which looked back at the circumstances that led to Phil opening the venue a decade ago. For part two, a rare and different tune, Several musicians who were closely associated with Terrapin Crossroads were asked to share their memories of the special space. Those who responded included Dan Lebowitz, Ross James, Alex Koford, Nikki Bloom, Ezra Lipp, Scott Guberman, Paige Klim, and Craig MacArthur. The resulting oral history told part of the Terrapin Crossroads story through the voices of many of those who were integral in its formation and growth. And in some cases, the musicians also held official jobs at Terrapin Crossroads. Regardless of their employment status, to a person. Each of the respondents described a place and a moment in time that impacted them both professionally and personally and will not be forgotten anytime soon. Our many thanks to all the musicians who participated in Part 2. Stay tuned for the next installment in our series examining the legacy of Terrapin Crossroads. When visiting JamBase, be sure to explore our festival guide. We have information on thousands of events happening around the world. And if you've been looking for a fest close to home, Check out our music festival guides in metro areas like New York, Atlanta, Nashville, Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles, and more. Speaking of festivals, JamBase is throwing a pair of events at Soundcheck Studios in Pembroke, Massachusetts. JamBase and Boston's own Neighbor will present Into the Sun on September 9th through September 11th. Neighbor will perform in three unique configurations with special guests, including a performance by the nine-piece Neighbor 9 on Friday, September 9th, 9-9. Also appearing all three nights will be Jennifer Hartswick, First with her full band on Friday, then her duo with Nick Casarino on Saturday, and finally as an artist-at-large on Sunday. We're also stoked to present sets from the Nth Power, Club Delph, Natalie Cressman and Ian Fakini, and Duochrome all over the course of the weekend. Get your tickets today, and we'll see you in September. And in October, Team Jambase will gather for three more nights at Soundcheck Studios for As Summer into Autumn Slips, a three-day music event taking place October 7th through October 9th. The spirit of the event is to foster collaboration among like-minded ensembles and bring you three nights of original music. To do so, we'll bring you Brad Barr, Andrew Barr, and Mark Freeman of The Slip. Friday, October 7th, the trio will be joined by Nathan Moore and Marco Benevento to assemble Surprise Me, Mr. Davis. And then on Saturday and Sunday, the performances by The Slip will be headlining sets. On Friday, October 7th, Marco Benevento will also play a set with his classic trio featuring Reed Mathis on bass and Andrew Barr on drums. And on Saturday, October 8th, Brooklyn-based trio Wolf, featuring Scott Metzger, will perform, followed by Boston-based collective Club Delph playing on Sunday. We've also got guitarist William Tyler on board for all three nights as well. Capacity for these shows is limited, so go to Jambase for ticket information, and we'll see you in Boston this September and October. All right, now let's get to my interview with Sam and Clay from Apache. We spoke over a video call with Sam and Clay calling in from their respective homes in California. The guys talked to me about making Roscoe's Dream with their longtime collaborator and essentially third member of the band, bassist Dan Horn. We talked about recording at Dan's studio, where they had both lived at one time, and how the familiarity helped set the right vibe while making the album. The pair of guitarists discussed their approach to singing and recording their ever-so-sweet vocal harmonies. We also got into the expansive sound and instrumentation featured on Roscoe's Dream, which they said was a natural progression for them as a band. Sam and Clay told me about writing and recording songs in different languages. They've been known to sing in Spanish, which they do on the new album, but this time around they also covered a song that's written in Hawaiian. I also asked Sam about his dog Roscoe, a 15-year-old Boston Terrier whom the album is named after, and that's been with the band since their start. So let's hear my interview with Sam and Clay of Apache, which we'll lead into with a bit of the song Love Can't Hold Me from Roscoe's Dream. With Clay and Sam from Mapache, and uh, we're here to talk about their new album, Roscoe's Dream, that's out now. It's a terrific new album, guys. Congratulations. Uh, I, I really have been enjoying listening to it over the past few days. Thank you. Um, so, Sam, the name of the album is Roscoe's Dream, and I believe that it takes its name from your dog, correct? Yeah. What can you tell me about Roscoe? I'm a big dog fan.
1: Boy, where to, where to begin? Um he's 15. Well, he'll be 15 at the end of this month. Wow. Um, and you know, he's just a he's a great dog. He's been around for a long time. He's seen he's been all over the country and seen a lot of stuff. And he's just been he was there with me and Clay while we lived at Liberty Street for a couple of years in Echo Park. Mm-hmm. And so he's just sort of been in the he's sort of been in the band forever. It's so it seemed only natural to to uh you know, give him some public recognition on the record.
0: Yeah. And he's on, he's on the album cover too. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so Clay, do you have a pretty strong relationship with Roscoe yourself?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably stronger than with Sam. Yeah. Um, But uh, (laughs) I've known Roscoe since I've known Sam, I think. Um, Yeah. About as early as I can remember. Wow. Um, yeah, Roscoe. I mean, I has, got Roscoe when it. I
1: was like in seventh or eighth grade. And that's oh. pretty much when you and I met. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, so, he's your ride or die, huh? He's been with you guys for a while. Yeah. And, and, what, and what kind of dog is he?
1: He's a Boston Terrier. Boston Terrier.
0: Very cool. Um, and, and so, when you decided to name the album Roscoe's Dream, did that Inform sort of the the a concept for the album was it was there any sort of overarching theme that you attached to Roscoe and and his dream? What is Roscoe's dream?
1: Hmm.
2: I think it's just sort of like the collection of uh, songs that we had put together over the years seemed f- seemed fitting. They all kind of had some place in uh, Roscoe's sleeping brain. Okay.
0: And, and the, yeah. the, f- the first song is, uh, I love my dog. Um, and, and Sam, I wonder, is, is that pretty biographical? It sounds like there's some, uh, some real life stories that take place <laughs> in that song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, true to, to our relationship with Roscoe. <laughs>
0: and, and, you know, dreams appear in the, uh, throughout the album uh, a couple times. Um, and I'm wondering, what's you guys' relationships to dreams? Are you informed, Clay? By do you take inspiration from dreams? Are you a big dreamer? Is that something that you you rely on for for your creative output?
2: Um, yeah i I would say, creatively, I think for me, maybe like daydreaming is okay. more uh, relatable. Or when I speak of dreams, I think maybe that's more what I'm talking about my actual dreams when I sleep are pretty mundane. Usually it's, it's more like I have to go to the bathroom and I keep going (laughs) and I still have to go. And I'm like, why do I have to keep peeing? This is so (laughs) unsatisfying. Um, But I feel like when I'm kind of uh, awake, but in a dream state is when uh, I find dreams to be uh, more uh, useful or interesting at least. What about you, Sam?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's pretty true. I don't know. I I think I'm fairly fascinated by dreams, but I definitely am not very informed about dreams. Whenever I share my dreams with someone else, they tell me what it's all about, and I know, I have no idea how it connects or relates to But other people seem to know about my dreams more than I do.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Clay, you mentioned a minute ago that you, you kind of were collecting these songs. So have they been written over the past few years or were they, were they written all together?
2: Yeah, they were written over a long period of time. And, and then some of them we didn't write to. And, um, a couple of them are kind of more like just little moments. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I suppose it's all just sort of like a collection of, you know, you could imagine it playing in Roscoe's brain while his legs are shaking <laughs> on the ground. Yes, he's okay. at a rock concert and then he's just listening to one guitar and then he's in Hawaii and it's just it's Roscoe, Roscoe's streams.
0: Roscoe's radio <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs>
0: so was were were you influenced at all by the the covid pandemic and and being isolated from that
2: yeah this record um we recorded um when our summer 2020 tour was called off okay. um and it seemed like we had um it was it was sort of the next step after like, okay, it's going to be a couple of weeks. Like, looks like all the spring stuff is canceled. And then the next sort of wave of information seemed to be, okay, it might be a year or, you know, it might be till the next summer or the summer after that. So we had a lot of time and, and we were kind of, uh, we potted up with um, Dan and the uh, people you know, working on this record, like Dan wasn't, you know, this was when everybody was trying to limit how many people they were seeing. Mm -hmm. So it gave us a little bit of extra time that is that you don't normally get. Like the clock wasn't ticking, you know, like each hour wasn't a certain amount of money per se. It was more, everyone was like, what do we do? So we started making this record. And so we had a little bit more time, which was kind of interesting.
0: And that's Dan Horn, the the producer of the album. Yeah, right? and you guys yeah.
2: you guys have worked with Dan quite a
0: bit. Um, what's your relationship like with him? I mean, it sounds like you're you're obviously very close. If you were potting up with him during during the, the the pandemic, um, how how have you formed that relationship with him over the years?
1: Well, we've just known him since our first endeavors in in the city, trying to make music from our first record on. And so we've just sort of developed sort of family-like relationship because of that. Um, But yeah, it's very relaxed, sort of low-tensity relationship, especially when we're playing music together and working together, which uh, leaves a lot of room to be sort of free and creative, which is nice. And
0: I imagine since you've worked at his studio, Lone Palm Studios in Echo Park a few times now, that you're pretty comfortable there too?
1: Yeah. I mean we lived there for two years too. We slept in the bedroom upstairs from the studio, which is now the actual the control room of the studio. <laughs> cool. So yeah, it's pretty uh, it's funny to go back now because it's like we look at the room we used to we used to share the bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, And it's, I mean, it's tiny and it's, and the three of us, Clay, me and Roscoe all shared the same room. So it was sort of, it's always weird to go back and look at that and how ridiculously small that room was. And uh, the fact that we even did that is crazy.
0: And so it was like the monitor board where your bed used to be.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> bigger than what the size of my bed at the time.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: <The> console <laughs> I think it's a little bit wider than, <laughs> than what my bed frame was. So
2: that's wild
0: and yeah. did dan did Dan also play on the album?
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, Dan's basically the other member of the band he's been okay. on every he's played a lot of bass and pedal steel and a little bit of other stuff on all of the records, so he's he's definitely been a part of the sound, too, I think, sure when it comes to studio stuff. He doesn't play with us live, really, but um, yeah, he's all over. All of the records for sure.
0: So, so his engineering is probably a big factor in getting the sound that you guys have captured over the years.
2: A hundred percent, and his bass playing and pedal steel playing.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's also playing pedal steel on it too. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know Farmer Dave did a little bit as well. I, I believe correct, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, Farmer Dave, and previously our homie Catfish played a little bit too. But Dan has always played um, a lot on our records.
0: And and some of the stuff on the record, like some of the auxiliary sounds, I'll call them like the, there's like a seal sound and um, the card shuffling. Is that stuff that Dan does or are you guys, do you have a hand with that too?
1: That's a little bit of a, a top secret information.
0: Oh really? Okay.
1: In, in years to come, we will share where those sounds came from.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but it, Dan, it, did, it,
1: Dan was involved. Yes.
0: And, and getting back to Roscoe real quick, is that him barking uh, at the end of the album too?
1: That is Roscoe. That's the recording of Roscoe that um, Nicole Hawkins took of him. I think someone knocked on the door and uh, that's what set him That That seems to be what sets him off.
0: Okay. Because you yeah. gave him the final word I noticed. <laughs>
1: yeah. In the end, it's uh, Roscoe's got the last word.
0: So I mentioned Farmer Dave. Um and we talked about Dan contributing to the album. Uh who who are some of the other musicians that you guys worked with, Sam?
1: Um, Tim Hill uh played bass. Um Farmer Dave, we've mentioned uh our good friend Annie Zhao played her uh, guzang, which is a Chinese harp. Um okay. one song, Light My Fire. Our friend uh Anna Pomerantz played drums and sang on that song as well. Um we had Steve Diddlow, who now is uh our full-time drummer in the band. He played on that record. That was sort of the first time that he's been on the recordings with us. Um who else? Uh James
2: Turner James. from Pacific Range and Stu, our friend Stu played keyboards.
1: Austin at- McCutcheon, our good buddy from years ago. He played on uh, or he sang on They Don't Know At the Beach. Um Ben Knight and Spencer Dunham of the Alawas.
2: Uh-huh. and uh, Dusty and a man played some percussion. So yeah. this was
0: quite the uh, collective effort. Quite though, a group. Right?
2: Yeah. A lot of buddies.
0: Yeah. And, and so were they kind of shuffling in and out as the, as you were talking, it was kind of, it sounds like it was kind of a laid back process to record it. Were they kind of brought in here and there when needed?
1: Sort of, yeah. Like Clay said, with COVID, it was a little bit uh, at that stage of the pandemic. It wasn't as free and come and go as uh, sure. we usually would like it to be. But I think we sort of had to organize it a little bit so that everyone was, you know, safe to do so and come in and record and leave and stuff. So. Were
0: there were any parts recorded remotely then too?
1: I don't think so. Oh wow! I think we did it all there.
0: What instruments did you both play? Clay, what did you play on the
2: album? Uh, I just played guitar and sang.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how about you, Sam?
1: I think I did the same, unless I played... You played um, some keyboard. Did I? Oh yeah, I fire. Yeah, a little bit of Rhodes and mostly just guitar and vocals.
0: And was it sounds like this was a different recording process than in the past, like as far as just the general approach. Specifically, were you doing things differently? Was, was, was the way that you tracked things different than, than you've done in the past because maybe you had that extra time?
1: Well, having the extra uh, players like Steve and Tim, who we were playing, and Dan, who we were playing bass, we did do a lot of the sort of backing tracks live with the band, which okay. we had never really done before. Um, and then we would, some of them we just did, I think, fully live one or two of them. And then, um, the rest, we would do the the backing track live and then sing over it. And, and then, um, and then a handful we did the same way we did the other records where we would sort of lay down the bass guitars and then sort of build up from that.
0: And when you guys record your vocals, do you record them together? They're so intertwined at times. It seems like, I wonder if the, if you have to do them at the same time or not.
2: Or we usually do. I think well, I'm, a couple of times we've tried different things, like tried just building them up if there's maybe other people singing on them as well. But um, most of the time, yeah, we sing into like a, a mic that goes in two directions. So we kind of like face each other sort of thing.
0: And, and have you guys had any formal vocal training or training on harmon- harmony, or did that just kind of come naturally when you guys started playing together?
1: Um, I don't think training.
2: I sang anything. in my choir at my Catholic elementary school.
0: Yeah, so. did you take anything from that? Did you? I mean, where, did you learn anything?
2: Now, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> heavily influenced by <laughs> yeah, by Latin Catholic hymns. Hey, um, some
0: of those are beautiful. I grew up in in the in Catholic church too, man. Oh so yeah, true. yeah,
2: totally. Um. I guess next I don't that one know. Was, uh,
1: Roscoe's sacrament.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. all Latin. Uh yeah, I don't know. I guess I learned that uh, a lot of times the harmonies sound weird if you sing them by himself. Okay, that's what I kind of figured out when I was little. That was kind of a revelation, I guess, about <laughs> choir yeah. singing. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I feel nah, like yeah. most of our favorite. Uh, musicians and favorite artists uh, were more on the untrained side technically.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But I think we sort of like that approach the best, just naturally, not big trains. <laughs> yeah. When
0: when you guys are in the studio, how much emphasis or how how much are you putting into creating the right vibe? Um, and I ask that because like your music does sort of come with a vibe to it it has a, a a natural sort of atmosphere and do you have to kind of think about that while you're recording or does that come naturally when you guys get together to make music
1: i think it's definitely uh
2: we think about it um just in that i feel like the the act of recording or it needs the, the best part about recordings are the best recordings are ones that seem like they were made in a place that had a really special, you know, Mm -hmm. vibration. Sure. And so, yeah, I think we're intentional about creating an environment that you would want to record. Um, so like, you know, yeah, if someone's got a, I don't know someone's feeling weird or I don't know, someone smells weird. I, it's pretty easy at dance. It's, it's, just cause it's a good place and we're all friends. So, you know, we don't have to like do anything crazy. We're not like canceling sessions cause someone's in a bad mood or something or like yeah. doing any crazy like sage cleansing or anything. But, you know, yeah, I think that's, I, it's definitely, we think about that. I think when you record probably the most important thing is the vibe in the room, mm-hmm. but yeah, but it's also, it's not like too much of a, you know, effort to get a good vibe at dance.
1: Yeah. Sam, tired. do you have,
0: do you have any habits that or rituals that you try and kind of keep when it comes to making recordings?
1: Um, no, I feel like uh, a recording is like, there's definite sort of flow through the process. And I like it best when the, you know, the flow sort of keeps moving. I feel like I can, I can sort of, my energy can rise and I can um, sort of keep moving forward. If, if the sort of flow of making music is, is heading in that direction. But I don't know, as far as habits and rituals, I feel like the best thing to do is to sort of get out of those if you can and Mm
2: -hmm. try to
1: make something fresh and new every time you do that, you know? We ate
2: a lot of watermelon when we were recording this. We got like a, because yeah. it was in the summer. So we got a watermelon like every day. That was kind of our ritual. That, that,
0: that's your yeah. ritual? Every, that's you know, like
2: chop a big watermelon and everybody's eating it outside.
0: It's hard to be in a bad mood then, right? If you have a big fresh watermelon, then slices yeah. are going around, right? Exactly. <laughs> you 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 also expanded your sound on this record. I mean, there's there's a bit more instrumentation. It's a fuller, more expansive sound how intentional was that or did that sort of come up naturally throughout the process? It sounds, you know, again, getting back to sort of having the extra time, was that something that that you set out to do or did that develop because of the situation you were in?
1: Uh, I think it was, um, it had developed simply because um, of what Clay and I had developed into by that point. I don't think it was necessarily only because of the, you know, like the COVID situation or, or the, the t- amount of time we had or anything, I think we were sort of heading in those directions anyways. And, you know, like Clay said, a lot of those songs had been written for a while and some of them were new, but, um, I think we sort of took that, those changes as they came, you know, in inside of us, um, and it was intentional, but more in a way that, uh, was true to what we had already been feeling, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So did that involve like conversations about it or was it just, Hey, this is the song and this is what we're doing with the song. And so that's what it needs.
1: I think we would, uh, someone would have, if, you know, if there was a song, someone would say, Oh, I think this would fit nicely with, uh, you know, this sort of instrumentation. Okay. And, uh, I, I like to give, you know, everybody, I like when everybody has the opportunity to sort of explain where they're coming from, like what, you know, explain their, uh, where their vision's coming from and what, what's inspiring it and stuff. And so, yeah, I think we talk about it a little bit like that. Um, and then sort of, yeah, I don't know. Explain the vision that someone has for a specific song or something and sort of go with it.
0: I was going to ask if that's part of your songwriting process. Like when you guys are bringing new material to each other, is there a lot of explanation back and forth? Like clay, when, 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 when you get a new song that Sam has started, are you asking him for sort of a background or, or more information about maybe some of the imagery in it or something like that?
2: Um, it depends. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it's very clear what uh, where the song is coming from because sure. me and Sam are pretty close. So a lot of times it's not even really necessary. and um, And then sometimes I will just be, i'll be like what's that line about or what does that mean uh-huh. and then sometimes too there's stuff that has been kind of um unclear but i've kind of enjoyed not knowing exactly you know like oh was that from that one night when you talked to this person or whatever i think uh-huh. sometimes it's uh you know it allows the music to be uh, real and fresh for both of us, you know, like it's the lyrics, <laughs> almost like a, a listener how they would take on, right? Their own uning or something, but a little bit of everything, yeah. But sometimes we don't talk about it.
0: And do you guys tend to write songs separately, or and then come together, or are you working collaborative, collaboratively from the start? Sam, what's your process?
1: Well, it's. I think it's. A little bit of both. Usually a song will start someone will have some sort of idea on their own mm-hmm. and then bring it, whether it's you know, a very small piece of a song or you know 90% of it. And then when we bring it to sort of the group, then um, yeah, the rest of the ideas of sort of filling it out and finishing it are all it's a very collaborative process. I don't think any of us are are closed off to ideas of you know, having help with finishing songs and stuff like that, I think we all, you know, sort of thrive on that group dynamic.
0: But so some songs are distinctively each of yours in your own minds.
1: Yeah. I mean, some, most of them start with, with, you know, clay will bring the majority of an idea to the table and then we'll finish it together or, or vice versa. But I think in the end, it's all our songs, you know, because we all sort of contribute, you know, an equal amount to to all the records and songs and stuff.
0: And there's a there's a couple of songs that are in Spanish, um, and that's something that you guys do quite a bit. Um, Do you do you always start those songs in Spanish, or do you ever start with a song and decide that it would work better in the other language?
1: No, I've never started it in English and, and then moved it to Spanish. That would be interesting, though, to try. But usually it's it starts, um, I'll either have a poem or I'll have a a song that feels like uh, it could carry something that I want to say in that language. Because the languages are so, you can say such different things in both languages, like the phrasing can take you to such different places that it's hard to, it's easier to just start in one language and, you know, sort of do it that way.
0: You guys did a whole album of covers. Would you ever do a whole album in Spanish? You think?
2: Yeah, Yeah, we've talked about that. I think that would be cool.
0: I think it would be cool too. Do you find writing in Spanish comes naturally to you guys?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's hard to say naturally. It's not my first language. Right, but, but it is a language that I'm fluent in, and that uh, it sort of has a newness to it since it's not my first language. That um, almost makes it even more exciting and fresh to write in because there's, you know, there's so many parts of it that I haven't explored yet since it's such a sort of new language. Do you, um, you ever
0: dream in Spanish?
1: Uh, sometimes, pretty rarely. It yeah. happens mostly when I'm speaking. It'll very frequently, but lately I haven't been speaking very much of it,
0: but yeah, you got to keep in shape with it.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, and I mentioned the, the covers uh, EP that you put out, um, but there's also a couple of covers that are on Roscoe's dream. How did those get selected clay?
2: Um, those were just songs that we had been playing, um, you know, just for fun or, you know, however you want to say it. it it wasn't like we set out and learned them because we wanted them to be on the album but they were just songs that we really loved and then we're jamming on or um had just learned like the Hawaiian one we'd both been um enjoying playing in like the slack key Hawaiian mm-hmm. style of yeah, guitar totally. and and that song's just so pretty we just like wanted to learn it and then um, when we were putting the record together and we were in the studio and kind of like listing all the songs we wanted to record, it was kind of like, Oh, should we also let's do that Hawaiian song too. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, same with Diana. It was like, Oh yeah, I want to do, I want to record Diana. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't, we'd been playing those songs before, I guess it was just, yeah. Stuff that we had already kind of worked out or been enjoying playing already
0: did you find singing the hawaiian song challenging
2: uh yeah yeah (laughs) i just didn't want (laughs) to uh obviously i don't i don't speak hawaiian so right and i i didn't want to just totally blow it so i tried i tried really hard to um pronounce everything correctly and you know yeah i I didn't want to blow it
0: (laughs) did did you have to do anything in particular to to make sure you nailed those lyrics
2: um exercises. yeah no uh
0: did you write it out phonetically or anything like that
2: uh no i just just played it and sang it a lot yeah and you were
0: pretty familiar with the song i imagine before Mm
2: -hmm. right Yeah. yeah Oh mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Um, you guys are about to go out on your California's Gold Tour in, a, in two days, right? That's a yeah, starts starts on Wednesday. On
1: Wednesday. yeah, yeah.
0: What was the inspiration behind that?
1: Um,
2: well, if you grew up in Southern California, um, there is a PBS program uh and it was this guy named huell hauser i don't know are you from california no
0: i'm from illinois <laughs> okay
2: well yeah. the short of it is that this there was this amazing show um there was this guy had a couple shows there was california's gold and visiting with huell hauser but this guy Hewell hauser was this I've incredible
1: hmm I never seen that one. I didn't know there was visiting
2: the fuel house. Yeah, there's a couple programs wow. that he had over the years, but he's just this classic PBS guy. And he had this show that was just really simple. It was him with a microphone and a guy with a camera following him around. And um, he had this outrageous Tennessee accent, and uh, he had this like uncanny ability to his just outlook on life was amazing, and he was always so it's like everything that no matter where he would be like in the most mystical natural places like yosemite and to like the most silly you know like a well like a a factory in east la that like raises bugs to sell to pet <laughs> reptiles or something and he would just be you know like just jaw dropped amazed you know at like a milk factory or like a sauerkraut factory or a California mission or whatever. And so he just would Mm -hmm. go to all these really funny kind of off the beaten path places. And if you grew up in Southern California, you just always catch it on like a Monday night on Uh channel two. And like, sure enough, Huell Hauser would just be like, wow, like talking to some (laughs) old lady at a candy store in Sacramento or something and just like completely losing his mind. It's just like the best television ever. You, ha- you should punch it into your... I'm going to uh, look him up for sure. YouTube. Because it's just totally amazing. Sounds um, like
0: a, a way more exciting version of Rick Steves. <laughs>
2: it's it, like Rick Steves always comes on after Huell There
0: you go. Okay.
2: So they're like totally in the same world. It's like sure, if Rick sure. Steves was on psychedelics or something. He just has <laughs> this like childlike amazement with everything. It's so good. Hey, Rick, Rick's yeah. a
0: big... uh cannabis legalization proponent so maybe (laughs) (laughs) who knows
2: damn that explains why he's so chill all the time
0: that's it yeah right so this tour you guys are you're hitting up all the all the cool spots in california then
2: yeah yeah we're gonna go to nevada city uh it's just like an old uh mining town with like crazy old victorian buildings and cobblestone streets and and we'll go to chico a
1: a little microphone play and i'll film it and you just any
2: town we go to, you can be a little yeah, yeah. just walk around and ask people questions.
0: Put that on Instagram. Where
2: am I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, and then, so after your your little run through California, then you're doing some more West Coast states in July. Um, and, and will these be with a full band?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And and so, who are the other guys in the band?
1: It's uh, Steve Didlow, who plays drums, and our good friend who actually grew up with us, Cameron Worley, who used to play bass in the band Pacific Range. Okay. Um, and that's the group, and we'll do uh, an opening acoustic set, uh, just oh. me and Clay, and then we'll do our electric set afterwards.
0: Very and cool. Sets. And so the, the West Coast states are in July. Do you guys think you're going to hit the rest of the country up this year?
1: yeah 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 a little later in the year we're planning on uh, visiting all of our favorite spots from
0: country. Well, i'm in minneapolis so i hope you guys are, are planning on maybe making your yeah, way through here yeah would love to see you guys um thank you for your time today appreciate it the new album roscoe's dream is really fantastic uh i anybody out there listening should definitely check it out um guys have a safe tour um thank you Stay Thanks. safe out there. Thanks again. Appreciate your time today. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: All right, guys. Cheers.
1: Peace. Talk to you later, bye. See you guys. In the sun,
2: there are seeds to
0: see into this episode of the jam based podcast our many thanks to all of you out there for listening thanks also to sam and clay for taking some time to chat with me be sure to check out the new apache album Vasco's dream wherever you find good music thanks to our sponsor grateful fred and thanks also to jake alexander for helping produce the episode we'll be back next week with an exciting new interview so in the meantime stay safe out there and go see live music